0: A Gruyere cheese from Switzerland was named the 2022 world champion cheese for the second consecutive year, third time overall. If you've ever had really good cheese, you know that one of the things that's very critical for that is the aging process. This cheese in particular, once it's ripened in the dairy for a few weeks, it's taken to the cellars where it ages for twelve months. And from everything I've read about this cheese, I hear it is outstanding. And some of you would probably go home and Google it to see if you can get your hands on it. If you do, let me know what you think. First Peter chapter 4, verse 2, we read that he that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. So from that initial statement that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh, we have extracted from that our focus on aging well. Because what Peter was giving us here was, hey, listen, for the rest of your life, this is how you need to live. And so if we're going to age well, then we've got to get the details of what we're seeing here in these opening verses of chapter 4 in particular, because here's the truth. I'll be 50 this year, so I've lived long enough to be able to see this. As people age, they get better or they become more bitter. They become sweeter or they become sour. They become more peaceful or they become more contentious. This is just the truth. You watch, I've watched people and I watch people age, and I've not seen anything different from what I've just described. So far, what we've said is, is if you're going to age well, then the first thing that you must do is you must furnish your mind. That is, you must furnish your mind with the mind of Christ. You've got to have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.5. Then we said, you've got to fixate your mind. That is, you've got to fixate, you've got to park your mind on the will of God. You've got to be so focused and so locked in on that, that you are not distracted by anyone or anything else. Nothing gets you off that. What is it that God desires? What is it that God wants out of my life? Then I'm fixated on that. I am. And I will not let anyone or anything distract me from that. What we've got to understand about these principles is that the, the first two that we've seen, and we're going to look at two more this morning, they are situation proof. Meaning, regardless of the situation, these principles work. Regardless of what's happening in your life or not happening in your life, if you are going to age well, then you abide by these principles and you will age well, for sure. We continue, look at verse 3 again. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walk in lasciviousness, lust. Excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. There's a fence in the country of Australia called the dingo fence. It is the longest fence in the world. It stretches approximately 3,400 miles. It was built in the 1880s to protect sheep and ranches, or to protect sheep, sorry, on ranches from being attacked by wild dogs. According to verse 3 of First Peter, before we were in Christ, we wrought. That is, we worked fully the will of the Gentiles. Those are unbelievers. And Peter gave us a list. Lusciousness, that's unbridled lust. Lust, that's, we know what lust is. Excess of wine, drunkenness, revelings, that's carousing, banquetings wild partying, and abominable or, or unlawful idolatries. As an unbeliever, someone not in Christ... The world, your flesh, and the devil attacked your mind with these things. It tempted your mind. It tempted your life with these things. It it beckoned you to give yourself to these things. And here's a sobering reality. Even though you are now secure in Christ, the agenda of the world, the flesh, and the devil, as it pertains to your life, has not changed, has it? Uh, they all still attack and tempt you with these things, correct? This is the truth. So here, here we go. If you're going to age well, this is so critical. Oh, I, I beg you to hear from the Lord on this. You've got to fence your mind. You have got to fence your mind. People today have no restraints on their thought life. No restraint. Anything goes, anything is welcome, and that is one of many poisons to our society today. Bizarre, dark, irrational, twisted thoughts have found residence in the minds of many. There are no lines, there are no restraints, there are no boundaries. And I wish that was limited to the world, but it is not. Because there are some in Christ who are not aging well because they have no restraint on their thought life. No restraint whatsoever. Their thought life is just like a wide open field that is unguarded, unkept, and the world, the flesh, and the devil have unfettered access to their mind. Unfettered. Undeterred, I mean, it is the world of flesh and the devil can make a beeline to some believers in Christ can make a beeline to their mind any time, any day, any place, anywhere. Now to help us understand the importance of this fencing of the mind, I want us to consider Nehemiah's response to the report that he gets on the state of Jerusalem. And I think there's something for us to see here. Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 3 in your notes. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. So Nehemiah gets this report on the state of Jerusalem, What you got to understand is in the Old Testament, cities that were unwalled were essentially a sitting duck for attack. They were wide open. I mean, they were extremely vulnerable. Uh, Husbands and fathers would be in distress knowing what could happen to their wives and children if they were in a city that didn't have any walls. Uh, This was not a good thing at all. We keep going. Look at verse 4 of Nehemiah chapter 1. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah understood the severity of an unwalled city. He understood the vulnerability of a city that was not walled and fenced and gated. He understood that. I wonder if we all understand the severity of a fenceless mind. It is very serious. If you have not fenced your mind, you're in trouble. The Bible says it this way from Proverbs 25, 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Would you notice those two words broken down? If you're like this, if you're the person that is mentioned here in Proverbs 25, 28, where you have no rule over your own spirit. where you have no restraint, you have no self-control, you have no temperance, you're extremely vulnerable. You are a sitting duck for the world, the flesh, and the devil. Your life will be broken down. So hear this, unchecked thoughts and feelings lead to a broken-down life. If feelings and thoughts can just have free reign in your life and they go unchecked, undealt with, unreproved, unrebuked, whatever you feel, you just feel, whatever you want to think, you just think, it's just, you're like a leaf in the wind. Wherever the wind blows is where your life is going that day. Your life is like a roller coaster, the most adventurous one in the park. I mean, it's up and down and doing loops and all over the place. I mean, spiritually. Spiritually. You've got spiritual schizophrenia. I mean, this is is the truth. When you don't rule yourself, you're going to be all over the place. You'll be very unpredictable. I mean, there'll be times where you are gracious and kind and loving and, and, I mean, all of that. And then there'll be times where it's like, okay, who are you? Listen, this is something that burns me deeply. This burns me very deeply. To see people who are, listen, mentally, they are as wide open As Jerusalem was when Nehemiah got that report they're wide open there are no gates no walls no fences they're wide open it all depends on what they see on the news it depends on what they see on Facebook it depends on what they hear here and there and that all determines where they're going that day they're just wide open And despite hearing how critical it is to furnish their minds, with the mind of Christ, day day after day, after day, after day, after day, after day, after day, after day. Here's why I cannot get into the Word of God and get the Word of God into me. That just won't work for me. I've tried that. Please, I beg you to hear this. All thoughts and feelings are not welcome. Do you know that? All thoughts and feelings are not welcome. You have to treat your mind like the front door of your home. Not everybody who who knocks gets in, right? Right? That's how you got to treat your mind. There are going to be a lot of things, a lot of people knocking at the front door of your mind. If you haven't fenced your mind, then anything and anyone is welcome. With that thought in mind, fencing your mind also calls for watching, and this is so critical, the company that you keep. This is a big one. You know, I used to think that, especially as a father of, of two teenagers, I used to think that peer pressure was something just for kids. It's not. I've watched Christian adults be influenced and swayed in the worst of ways from other believers. It's not something that just stops at the teenage years. We all, listen, you've got to guard or watch or pay attention to the people that you walk with. Look at verse 4 wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. So many in the Roman Empire at this time viewed Christians who were living like Christians, who were given to living a life of holiness, that was strange. That was weird. That was corny. That was whatever term you want to ascribe to that. And that fueled the persecution against them. Christians were not running with or living like the lost. Listen, you got to hear this. To age well, we must walk with people who are aging well. If you're going to age well, you must walk with those who are aging well. Growing up, uh, one of my closest friends in the world there's a picture of him on the screen. He's a guy here named Donald Corker. And uh, he's, uh, he's, he's as dear to me now as, as he ever has That's his wife, Latonda, in the background there. And they've been married for longer than I have, I think over 20 years. But uh, affectionately, he's d nice to me. Uh, but Donald was one of the best basketball players in the state of Georgia. He was very good. Uh, he played four years at Virginia Tech. Uh, he, he was that good of a player. Donald was about 6'2", lightning quick, athletic, just a dog on defense, would lock you down. I mean, he and I would play for hours. Like we would go on the court, we'd play these pickup games, and then people would leave in the summer in particular, it'd get dark, and he and I would linger I mean, well into the night where you could barely see the rim, and, and I was doing everything I could to try and beat I never could beat him. And I, and I knew, I had, his move, I had his moves down, but again, even though I knew what he was gonna do, he was so good, I couldn't stop it. Like it was, wow, this guy's good, man. But you know what? While I could never beat him, you know what happened? As I played against him, I got better. I improved. When I played against guys who weren't as good as he was, I realized how better I had gotten. Uh, I do pray that you'll get to meet him and I, stay in touch. Uh, He was in my wedding. Uh, He wants to get to Kansas City soon to meet you guys and see what God is up to. He's a believer in Jesus Christ, he's a brother, and we'll be together for eternity. But when I first met him, I couldn't stand him. (laughs) Because I was like, man, this dude is good. go play at another court, man. Like, please, I was enjoying life before you showed up. <laughs> so. But can I ask you a question? Would you honestly handle this? Would you honestly answer this question? Are your relationships, are they based on Psalm 119. 63? Would you look at it? I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Is that what your relationships are based on? The people that you walk with, the people that you spend your time with, does this verse, is it the foundation for that? Is this, this is what I'm saying. Peer pressure is not just something for teenagers or kids. Adults deal with it too. See, if you keep on walking with people who are lukewarm, divisive, miserable, murmuring, discontent, sour, negative, well, I think that begins to explain a lot as it pertains to where you are, doesn't it? I've I've told my son this, and, and I do believe that he's heard me, but I've told my son this, if I didn't know you but I spent 30 minutes with the people that you spend the most of your time with, then I've met you. Because every person that I know is the fruit of the company they keep. You walk with losers, you're going to be a loser. That's the truth. People who are not furnishing their mind with the mind of Christ or fixating their mind on His will or fencing their mind from the world, the flesh and the devil and they want quality time with you, please hear me. You know what they want? They only want to waste your time. And they only want to waste your life. If they aren't furnishing their mind with Christ's mind, if they aren't fixated on his will, if they aren't fencing their mind, but they want to spend gobs of time with you, You have to understand there is nothing redeemable about that. And for some, it's time to put up a spiritual dingo fence to limit, if not restrict, access to your life from certain people. I get it. When it comes to evangelism, we have to spend time with people, but even that, you've got to be careful. You've got to know when it's time to move on. What did Jesus say? there comes a point where you got to shake the dust off your feet and you got to keep going. you got to know when that time is because lost people, they will monopolize and they will, they, will, they will waste and use your time. I mean, they will blow it if you let them. So you've got to be wise. Listen, the Bible tells all of us when it comes to time before God, there's something we must do with that. What is that? We've got to redeem it. We've got to make the most of it. Now, some of that might sound unloving, but people who are moving in the wrong direction in life, please hear this. They will gladly have you join them. (laughs) I'll never forget, my good friend Troy said this years ago. Listen, wherever your friends are going, they're taking you with them. So I've told my son, you might want to always check the destination before you hop on the train. So when you're walking through and working through who you're going to roll with and where you make sure you know where they're going first, because wherever they're going is where you're going. And whatever that is going to end up looking like, you're going to be a part of it. So do your homework. Now, here's how, you know, when someone does not need to have a place in your life, look at verse four again. Wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Do you understand? Have you recognized? I hope you have. That there are people in and around your life who could care less about you living a holy life. They could care less. They could care less about you serving the Lord faithfully. They could care less about you attending church faithfully. They could care less about that. They routinely invite you to gatherings and events that conflict with attending church and ministry. I was talking to someone recently about, it's one of our growing and developing leaders, and I say, listen, very carefully, one of the things that you have to do in ministry leadership is you must discern between invitations and obligations. They're not identical, right? This is something that you have to do very well. Just because I am invited to something doesn't mean I'm obligated to go. (laughs) Yes, I I see there's an invitation, but that doesn't mean I have to go, (laughs) One of the key questions that I personally work through often is Is this going to take me away from something that I cannot afford to be away from? If I can't afford to be away from it, then I don't care how good it sounds or how much you want me to be there, I can't afford to walk away from where God has placed me to give my time to that. And we all have to do that. For years, I've watched believers say yes to every birthday party, family event, trip. And it's just like it's, their life is wide open. yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> it's like... And at some point, here's what happens. Lord... No. No. Lord, I actually don't have time for you. I don't have time for what you've called me to. I'm not guarding my life. If you're going to age well, you've got to guard the gate of your life by fencing your mind. And Nehemiah gives us an excellent visual of this. Let's keep going in chapter 6 of Nehemiah. Look at verse 1. Now it came to pass when Sanballat, when Samballot and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at the time I had not set up doors upon the gates, that Samballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together and some one of the villages uh, in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? These men had no interest in the will of God. Uh, They were actually tools in the hands of the devil to hinder the will of God. Nehemiah was fixated on the will of God and saw through that, listen, ultimately, this is critical everyone, the work that God has called us to is too great to be bothered with carnal things and carnal people. You've gotta be clear about, listen, there are things and there are people in and around your life that you know what, at the end of the day, I don't have time for that, and I don't have time for you. I don't. But notice this key phrase used in chapter 6 and verse 3 of Nehemiah. And this is, listen, uh, this is very critical, and this justifies. Uh, Please, you got to see this. This is critical, and this justifies why there are certain people that you absolutely must say no to. Notice this phrase. Look at verse 3 again in Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah said, I am doing a great work. So understand, look at his view toward the work that God had given him. This is a great work. What Nehemiah was saying there, this is preeminent. This is first. This is, this, this cannot be Compromised. That, that was His view of it, and that's how we have to view God's work, whatever God has called you to. God, this is a great work. Wow, God, this is bigger than me. I, wow, Lord, I whoo, help me. This is great. This is a great work. So that I cannot, here it is, come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it? And what? Come down to you. Come down. Come down. Listen, we should not have time for anyone who is trying to pull us away from the work that God has called us to. Are you catching what we're looking at here in Nehemiah 6.3? Listen when you allow someone to pull you away from the great work that God has called you to, guess which direction your life is going to start to go? Down. What Nehemiah was saying was, listen, I don't have time to come down from this wall and and mess with you. See ya. Go do whatever you're going to do. But God has given me a great work to do, and I've got to finish it. I've got to make full proof of it. So if, listen, if you want to go and you want to waste time and, 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 and take on God and try and interrupt and hinder God's work, I'll leave that to you and him. But I'm not coming down off this wall. I'm not walking away from this great work. Finally, verse five, Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? So this referred to um, the lost in the Roman Empire who spoke evil of Christians at this time for living like Christians and ultimately were persecuting them unmercifully. And that was uncomfortable for believers at that time as it would be now. But what Peter did was he forwarded his and their attention beyond that time. Because those who were persecuting Christians would have to give an account for that. Those then, and those who do it now. Would you look at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Ben Franklin said that there are only two things in life that are certain death and taxes. Uh, Mr. Franklin was a very wise man, but but based on the authority of God's word, I can confidently revise the statement. There are three things certain death, taxes, and the judgment. For sure. Now, for those who have believed on Christ, uh, his next appearing will not be like his first. At his first coming, he came to pay for our salvation or purchase our salvation at Calvary. The next time he appears, it will not be to purchase our salvation. It will be to fulfill the last leg of it. That is the hope of the believer in Jesus Christ. But for those who will give an account in verse 5, It will be the most sobering accounting that they will ever do. Because that accounting will be done, the books will be opened at the great white throne judgment. And to say it will be a very sobering accounting is to put it very lightly. Look at Revelation 20 beginning in verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If you ever needed a burden for evangelism, this is it. This is it. This will be the saddest day in the history of humanity. This is where the clock on God's mercy, grace, and long suffering for some officially runs out. Because to find yourself standing before God at this judgment means that there is no grace. There is no mercy. There is no long-suffering. The clock has stopped. Again, they say this will be a sobering accounting. <laughs> Oof. Listen, you do not want your worst enemy at this judgment. But this is what awaits those who die without Christ. And praise the Lord for those who are in Christ. This is not in our forecast, is it? Praise the Lord. But we too must give an account at the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And so this is not a judgment to determine our eternal destiny, right? Right? Um, We've been made to sit together in heavenly places. So we're already there spiritually, right? This is where we receive a reward for our own labor. First Corinthians chapter three makes that clear. But there is an accounting that happens here. So here we go. If you're going to age well, you know what you got to do? And I mean, you got to do this. You got to forward your mind. You've got to forward your mind. You got to forward it. Were you guys trying to figure out what the next F was going to be? Anybody? Were you, any, anybody guess forward? No forwards? Okay, I went back and forth on a lot of words. I landed with forward. This means that you're looking and living beyond the here and now. Amen. Peter addressed this book to the strangers scattered throughout the first verse of the book. In chapter 1, verse 17, he said, we are sojourning here. We're just passing through. In chapter 2, verse 11, he said, we are strangers and pilgrims. Uh, many of you know that I'm not very fond of traveling. A lot of you know that, right? You know one of the things that really helps me when I travel, when I actually get there, when, I, when I'm there and I'm doing whatever it is that God has sent me there to do, that's, there's nothing like that. That's fantastic. It's it's the downtime before I'm, I'm speaking or whatever, right? And I'm just homesick and things like that. But, but one of the things that gets that helps me to get through is that I know with each passing day, I'm closer to getting back home. Each passing day, oh, just two more days, just one more day, man. Just in six hours, we'll be in the car going to the airport. Right. we can suffer well knowing that with each passing day we are closer to being home life's hard isn't it there's suffering there are setbacks there are disappointments there are hurts all that comes with life but you know what when you know that you know what Lord today I'm a little closer to home I'm a little closer. Consider Second Corinthians 4 as we close, verses 17 and 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Lord, We thank you for your word. God, would you help us to embrace these principles, Lord, so that we can spend the rest of our time in this temple to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.